Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. On this episode of the podcast, we're dipping our toes into some concepts of humor in games that bridge the comedic aspects of video games to other media forms. We're going to look at how some of the fundamental qualities of stand-up comedy and comic books apply to games. Games are their own thing, but like television, books, and movies, they pull from other media forms for inspiration to produce humor. This creates challenges for games. Narf, a professional and independent game designer, talks about one of those challenges. Games have a hard time being funny. Like sometimes they will try to be funny and there's always problem with timings or with expectation. And while I will read the text or hear the cutscene and it's funny, I'm not laughing. Like you would laugh when you watch something that's not a game. So games have a hard time being funny, but why might that be? We're going to turn to two guests, Dr. Kashona Gray and Dr. Dan Staines, to unpack why games often struggle to make players laugh. So I look at, um, so games for me are more of like a microcosm of, of the larger media infrastructure, right? So there's like a larger like media ecology, right? So, you know, I, I think that a lot of them, you know, a lot of these games draw their inspirations, you know, from, you know, Hollywood. So if you think about like the games from like like the 90s, you know, those some of those were like direct reflections even of um of like, you know, the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of era, you know, like the fighting era, you know, a lot of the martial arts kind of like era, you know. So I I think I think it's important that we don't we don't put games like on an island like where they're by themselves, right? You know, I think we have to like look at them as like just an extension of of like you know these hegemonic structures that are still deploying like particular kind of messages, right? So and and while you know I did you know spend like a lot of time you know talking about you know I, I know I, and I did talk a lot about TV and you know film and all those kinds of things, um, but that's because video games have been trying to mimic that reality also. So even thinking about like a cinematic trailer, thinking about the experience of like a cinematic trailer, like of what they're trying to do to draw like an audience in. They're not trying to distinguish, you know, video games aren't trying to like distinguish themselves from like movies and blockbusters. They're wanting to replicate like this experience is going to be just like a blockbuster hit, right? Um, I mean, like the Far Cry, think about like the the experience of the Far Cry trailers. You know, they're always like these over the top, like blockbuster kinds of like of, of experiences. So what I wanted to do, like with my conversation is just put gaming within a conversation of like these other mediated outlets. Right. And that's also like important for me because I spend a lot of my time trying to justify the significance of video games to, to academics who think that games don't matter or think that, you know, like what's happening in the gaming space is just like child play or think that that's just something like for kids. So it's always important for me to like draw like those those connections and draw like the nodes between like film and 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 cinema, you know, to like to like gaming, right? Um, but I also think that there are yes, there are some some distinct things that are happening like within within gaming, like as well, right? And here's Dan Staines. I think it depends on the kind of game because I think I think what makes makes games kind of unique so far as humor goes is that humor really isn't a genre of game like it is say a genre of novel or a genre of movie uh humor is kind of added on top of other genres 
uh, in a lot of cases. So, you know, you'll have a funny first person shooter or a funny adventure game, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think it really depends on what you're trying to do with the game. Um, there are games that do, that are sort of meant to be humorous primarily. Uh, so, for example, uh, Jazz Punk is an example of a game that's basically just supposed to be funny and that's it. And again, you have that sort of similar problem that you have with LucasArts games. It's a funny game-ish, but it's just not a very interesting game. Like the, the mechanics that are used to set up jokes in that game are boring to actually play through. As Dr. Staines and Dr. Gray have highlighted, there's a challenge of what the audience expects in a given moment from the particular media they're consuming. For example, the expectations you have when you sit down to watch a television show or a YouTube video are different from when you sit down to play a game. Part of that challenge of meeting the humorous expectation of the audience when playing a game comes from the way that games are developed. We asked Osama Dorius where humor comes from in AAA titles. Uh, basically, it comes in layers, in many, many layers. It comes all the way from the top from the creative director, where the creative di director has to create documents and uh, make presentations to tell you what the tone of the game is. Uh, and uh, well, I, I've never worked on a game where the tone was was no humor whatsoever. I've like, uh, it not, never explicitly mentioned. I've worked on a few games where um, humor was integral to, to, to the design, uh, but most of the time it's like a tone that accommodates humor. Like, yeah, we're able to have jokes in here or, or this or that. Uh, I, I'm not really allowed to speak about the, the current project that I'm working on, so I'm going to speak more generics if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like in, in a like more general aspect, we Oftentimes, if there are multiple characters, one of them will be the humorous one, just because it's an easy differentiation between them. And that usually manifests itself in, in wisecracks uh, while the character is, um, you know, just regular navigation or whatever, the combat or things like that. And you saw that when I worked at Gameloft on, on Dungeon Hunter. We had character archetypes, and uh, some of the character archetypes would be written and, and voice cast with that in mind. So that's already a thing. In comedy, what Osama is describing is known as the double act. This is where you have two performers, one who is a simple, serious representative of a perceived general audience, often called the straight man, who acts as the baseline upon which a joke can be made by the second performer, the funny man or stooge. This double act doesn't just happen between characters. It's built into the comedic equation of how people find things funny. To explain this equation, we're going to look at one of the key theories of humor, incongruity theory, which depends on the contrasts that emerge from the mismatch of the double act. Here's Dr. Pippin Barr from Concordia University speaking on incongruity. There is a, there is a specific theory of humor, right, which is the incongruity theory of humor. Um, that idea that you laugh at things or you find things funny because they're not what you expect or they're like kind of the wrong thing at the wrong, at the wrong moment, uh, those sorts of things. And I think a lot of the kinds of stuff that I've done in my games, not all of them, I've tried to make a couple of legitimately serious games that have no obvious room for humor. But a lot of what ends up happening is that I make a game that diverges from what you should sort of should do according to game design principles or conventions and that in itself ends up being kind of funny at, at the very least to me because I mean I find it funny to do this kind of work um, but also to at least some players um, it's just because it doesn't match expectations. And that's the key for incongruity where a mismatch of expectation produces laughter. 
Let's hear from Dan Staines again with an example of incongruous humor in games. The really funny stuff, I think, is when it's just completely out of the blue. And that would make sense with respect to sort of incongruity theory. Like, you know, when you're totally not expecting something. So one of the re probably the funniest thing that I can ever remember in a game was I was playing uh, Quake with my brother and we we're playing against like bots, AI controlled opponents. And I just sort of at random fired this rocket off and we sort of left it there and we were you know there was like a couple of seconds passed and then like five seconds passed and then eventually in the distance you hear this dink and then like the screen flashes up and it says that i've got a kill and it was just <laughs> and it was just like the timing of it was so so perfect everything about it was completely perfect and it was completely random completely unexpected and it wasn't it was completely unengineered both by me and the designer but of the game, but it was still hilarious. And that's the kind of stuff that I tend to remember. And that's the kind of stuff, those are the kinds of experiences that I would like to provoke in players without cluing them into the fact that it is engineered, if you know what I mean. Because I think, I think, and this is why my problem with games like jazz punk, um, I think when it's so obvious that you're being sort of manipulated into a jokey situation, when, it, when the sort of strings become a little too obvious, um, it, uh, the humor of it dissipates. It can still be funny, but it, it's less funny. One way of producing this kind of mismatch is through a setup. As we just heard, the setup can be in the form of character dynamics, where a serious character sets up the expectation break. But this can also appear in other forms across games, from Easter eggs and level design, to visual art style, to the very concepts of games. The way humor is designed into games varies wildly depending on the game and the size of the design team. We're going to hear from Osama Dorius talking about AAA game design one more time. You have a lot of contributors and a lot of people, their personalities come out uh, in the, the art that they, that they create or in, the, in their craft. So we have a lot of level designers. I remember one level designer in particular that I worked with at Game Loft absolutely loved humor and tried to integrate it into the level design as much as possible. So when, they, he, when he would specifically work with level artists, he would tell them, oh, and it would be great if when you arted this part up, you put in this Easter egg or this thing that players, if they see they're going to laugh, they're going to crack up because, uh, or, you know, misdirection or misleading or whatever. And you'd have other level designers who that did not even register, did not even click. doesn't right. mean it, it wouldn't make it into their level. It often would mean that if it come, came up in a review and a level design director would say, hey, this would be funny, let's put this here, then it would make it in. But then, but almost by uh, by default, you'd see that their levels would have fewer environmental storytelling elements that were humorous, just because that's not what who they are as, as, a, as a, a craftsperson. And that's okay too. Like that's why you have a lot of variety and that's why different people have different uh, preferences to characters and levels. But it's, it's, you can see it, like it's layered. It really is. It's like, it starts from the top, the creative director uh, decides what the tone is and uh, like, uh, polices i guess that tone or like you know enforces that tone um then other directors also um like uh, apply the same tone throughout uh so for example an animation director would make sure that um the the emotes of this character will never be humorous because that is the grim dark one but the other one you know the, he can like flip you the bird or do something else or, uh, right. or or juggle and drop a ball or whatever they find humorous based on the direction of that character um, and then it'll go all the way down to the animator themselves who are like, hey, 
how about we we give them a selfie that would be hilarious especially in a fantasy setting where cell phones didn't exist you know that that's a joke right there in itself so i'm gonna propose this um sometimes it comes up in the concept art it could come from any different directions i'm on the project that i'm on now uh we actually have a page where it's like suggest easter eggs and many of the suggestions just happen to be a lot of them were just like fan service they found it like this uh, yeah. but many of them are just this would be hilarious doesn't mean they're necessarily going to make it in but people love that page. they go back to it a lot either to contribute or to uh, take stuff from it this is only one way to design humor into games in smaller teams humor can take a more prominent role and be designed into games differently we spoke with Eva Toker from Classy Act and Rogue Harbor Games about a series of cat games that relied very heavily on the humor generated by its art we asked Eva where the humor came from in the game she's worked on Essentially, that game started out just based around funny cats. That that was our entire pitch for this game. It was, I think, it was just a, a picture of a cat uh, with a jetpack on, and uh, somehow that ended up getting funded just on that. And then um, we built two games around that IP. Actually, um, one was an idle game with the cats, and then the second one was a, a card game with the cats. And um, all of our, our cats are kind of based around groups of cats. Like we have um, rock star cats, we have space cats, we have um, like Greek mythology cats, medieval cats, Halloween cats, a whole bunch of them. And uh, a lot of them are based around just trying to make funny parody characters with pop culture references or... You know, whatever we can think of. Um, the artist that drew most of those, uh, he's really good at, at just generating ideas. And he's, he's got a really good sense of humor as well. So he would just, I would give him a topic with some suggestions for characters. And then he will just go and draw like 30 of them. And then we usually go through and we pick some. So that's that's the process for that. But what happens when those Easter eggs or visuals don't land as humorous? What is it about writing humor into the visual form and style of a game that sometimes causes them to produce that humorous, laugh-out-loud, incongruous effect, while at other times these jokes completely fall flat? Last episode we talked about the politics of humor. It might just be that a joke, visual gag, or theme doesn't work for some people for any number of reasons, but there are other aspects at work. One of those aspects is making sure the humorous elements are doing the right job in the context of the game. We spoke with Kyler, an artist and designer from Clever Endeavor Games, famous for designing Ultimate Chicken Horse. Who's, what's the name for a person in, in a comedy who's like the straight man? Like, yeah. I've always tried to like keep the art pretty, I don't know about serious or flat but not trying to go r really exaggerated in how crazy any of the art is. Like the chicken and the horse and all the characters, they're relatively land designs mm -hmm. in okay. some ways. Like yeah. they don't have giant expressions. They don't like, they don't have big shiny eyes. They don't have pupils. They don't like, they're not, they're not like, really expressive um cartoon characters they're like they do express themselves but it's a lot more uh a little low-key i think and i 
kind of think that like there's some I don't know if there's something about like if you keep it a little more serious when all the funny goofy physics start happening it it just plays better like the chicken wasn't funny and then the funny physics happens to it and now it's funnier in contrast if you pick the wrong art style that um like i was just reading the like understanding comics right. by scott mcleod and like in it there's some section where he's talking about like he shows some drawings of like very serious things of like a, a still life of apples and it's a very serious drawing painting and then you show like a cartoon picture of an apple and they just have a very different fundamental feeling to them and i get the sense that a lot of games um just the way engines render things and just a tendency of 3d art is that you get pushed towards that still life feel and it doesn't leave the right room in people's brains to just fill in the blanks and make it funny or like um whereas just cartoon art it i feel like it's it's like 80 percent of the way there to being funny sometimes uh but once you like try to 3d render something it it's possible that you'll like get stuck in the uncanny valley and it just won't land Complementing this, Eva Toker also talked about implementing cartoony versus serious art in her own games. All of the, the Tap Cats art has kind of that more exaggerated, uh, stylized, cartoony art style to it. So that makes it a little bit easier to, to get something funny. Um, a lot of my own stuff is a little bit more more realistic and serious, and I find it's, it's harder to do something funny with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's cats, so <laughs> they're they're pretty funny on their own. So and then uh, because it, narrative can be tricky with mobile games because people, not all audiences like to read, so we try to um, have as much implied narrative as we could. Right. So just having things that are kind of funny just by looking at them was definitely helpful for that. So comedic style is important. It can do things that narrative can't, and importantly, certain styles lend themselves to humor because they allow the audience to do most of the work. Kyler mentioned Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud and the concept of filling in the blanks. This is something McCloud calls closure, and is common in comics where the reader, in humorous situations or otherwise, has to fill in a lot of the detail because the transition from comic panel to comic panel infers something that isn't depicted. So, the brain does the work. A similar thing is at work in humor, where sometimes less is more. But it isn't just in the design of a game where the humor is made, it's in the hands of players. Here's Dr. Pippin Barr. Like, part of that I think maybe applies to, to play as well. Like, I mean, you have to be a, at least a little bit accountable as a player and, um, and kind of commit to what you're doing, or you can't expect to have an interesting um, experience or to really get much depth out of a game. Like, and I do this all the time with games. Like, I, you know, I don't really engage enough to, to enjoy them. And that's, yeah. I don't know, I kind of feel like that's my fault. I think there's a, there's a tendency to blame the game or the, the designers or the graphics or whatever. Um, and to say, you know, that's why you didn't um, have an interesting experience with something. But a lot of the time it's, it's on us as players as well. The balance in making and playing a funny game is leaving enough space for the players to make those commitments, while still providing enough of an experience where those commitments become possible. 
This balance involves directing the player and giving the player enough freedom to explore when needed. The amount of directedness or freedom a player requires depends on the players themselves, the game being played, and the expectations being set by both designers and their audience. From the development side, there's more at play than artistic design. The visual layers of games are just that, one layer among many. Incongruity and closure aren't just visual, they are found in the game mechanics and game narratives that blend together with the visual elements to produce an overall experience. And that's where we'll be looking for humor next time on the Humor and Games podcast. Thanks to our contributors for this episode, Dr. Dan Staines, Dr. Kashona Gray, Osama Dorius, Dr. Pippin Barr, Eva Toker, Kyler, 